Like Frankenstein, we come back to life. Uh, Frankenstein's monster, bro. Like Frankenstein's monster, we come back to life. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while, huh? Yeah, where were you again? Yeah, I was off. Um, I was off in the North Pole, uh, caring for penguins. Um, yeah, uh, just right. doing doing God's work. Right, right. Yeah. Um, there are no penguins at the North Pole, so yeah. Whose work were you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Jack Frost's. Well, what were you uh, up to? All right, Mister. So much better than wholesome. Oh, you know, uh, just it's no big deal. Just going lecturing some philosophy at the Lyceum. Psh, whatever. I know lies when I see them. <laughs> it sounds like Lyceum, you know. I mean, that was pretty good, but uh, yeah, it hurts just right. So, anyways, what's uh, what's gonna be our deal for for today? What are, what can we possibly talk about that can bring everybody in for a new season? Well, you did mention Frankenstein, so Frankenstein's uh, monster. Frankenstein's monster. Well, I'm glad you mentioned him because, in a way, he encapsulates one of the ideas of the philosophers I wanted to discuss today: Nietzsche. <laughs> That's not going to happen every time we say his name, is it? Huh. Uh, should we try saying it wrong? Let's do that to be safe. Anyway, hit that theme song. Don't be Aristotle by a Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. Will Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome back to Wholesome and Heathen. It is great to have you here. This is the show that aims to take heady philosophical concepts and make them more digestible. Heathen over there gives you the philosophy facts, and I, your lovely wholesome, try to relate them to pop culture to make them easier to understand and less pretentious. For our first season, we highlighted philosophy concepts and told you what different philosophers thought about them. And then for our second season, we dove into movies and explained the philosophy in each of those. For this season, we're going to talk about a specific philosopher every episode and help you know your Aristotles from your Machiavellis, once again, through the lens of pop culture. And then for next season, I've got no idea right now. How many people even listen to this? Well, I, if you are listening to this, please send us a message at contact at wholesomeandheathen.com and tell us you're real. Yeah, much appreciated. So anyway, we figured we'd start the season off in a big way with a big name, Nietzsche. Uh, okay, 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 fine. Nazi. <laughs> All right, I, I think that works. I think that works. Yeah, weird, weird weather conditions today. Sweet. Um, so what can you tell me about nunchucks? Why don't you start off? Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell me what you know about him, and I'll, I'll take it from there. <laughs> All right. Um, so he was a 19th century German walrus, the big old mustache, who just talked about the Ubermensch, which, you know, is a cool word. And I think where the car service comes from uh, in something about God is dead. I, I don't know if it was a boxing match and he wanted to claim victory or what, but. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Am I am I on the right track? That sounds about right for the popular understanding of the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's start with something called 
the will to power. Okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, right? It does. Yeah. So the will to power is what Nietzsche <laughs> described as the main driving force in all humans. The world is will to power and nothing besides, he wrote. I have no idea if he sounded like that. Yeah, I mean, okay, cool. But what does any of that mean? Well, to understand anything, you have to understand its context first. So let's start with some backstory. Is that another Nietzscheism? What? Like the the context thing? Oh, no, 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 no. That, that was just me. Why did it sound especially profound? Yeah, yeah, totally. What what was this backstory you were talking about? <laughs> Nietzsche was influenced <laughs> largely by Arthur Schopenhauer, an earlier German philosopher and a big time pessimist. So Schopenhauer talked a lot about will, which is a blind impulse, and particularly Villa zum Leben, the will to live. Yeah. Everything, everywhere, all life in the universe is motivated and driven above all else by this innate will to live. So he's just defining the reason of life to be life itself? He means all life actively avoids death and, similarly importantly, seeks to procreate. Ole Schopenhauer talked about that one a lot, about how a lot, if not all, the things we do are in seeking to further this biological drive to reproduce. I want to make a your mom joke about reproducing, but I guess that would just prove the point. <laughs> it's our first episode of the season, mate. Don't try to tackle the philosophical greats already. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so, for Schopenhauer, this will to life is the fundamental aspect of reality. Nietzsche read and studied all of this, but, like all great thinkers in history, he took issue with what he read. He coined Wille zur Macht, or will to power. Right, right, okay. And in his book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, he said, Anywhere there is life... There is will to power. And even the strongest life forms will risk their lives for more power. He's saying the will to power is greater even than this will to survive. Now, if you open to page 394 in your copy of Beyond Good and Evil, he writes that the will to power, quote, strives to grow, spread, seize, become predominant. Not from any morality or immorality, but because it is living and because life simply is will to power. Yeah, yeah, because we all have a copy of that. <laughs> Mine must have gotten lost in the move. <laughs> all right, fair enough. I have no idea what page it's actually on. I have all my quotes written down. <laughs> okay, all right, good. <laughs> so he thinks we're all fighting for power to become king of the castle. What, what if I just want to be a baker and... Roll around in gluten all day. <laughs> okay. Uh, love the aspiration. Um, but, but see, it's, it's an unconscious driving force. You don't control it. Rather, it defines the very nature of life. And this is where Nietzsche's work can get and often does get complicated because he's a pretty fuzzy guy. Yeah, we, we all see it in the beard. Walruses just want to cuddle. Think of think of will to power not as physical strength or power over others, but power over oneself. 
self-mastery. It's more a desire for personal growth, you know? Yeah. No, no, that, that's, that's pretty confusing. <laughs> and it makes perfect sense to be confused by it. You don't need to tell me. I'm, I'm telling you. I don't get it. All right. If you're familiar with utilitarianism... Season 1, episode 1. Thanks. Yeah, you'll know that utilitarianists more or less say people want to be happy. Who doesn't want that? I mean, besides Batman, dude must love being sad. <laughs> well, not that people don't want to be happy, but that school thinks that's the driving force behind people's actions. As opposed to, say, Plato, who thought people are mainly motivated to pursue being good. You see how those could lead to somewhat different behavior? Nietzsche is saying the driving force is neither of these, or neither of those, and not even survival necessarily, but this will to power? The will to power can be understood to mean a struggle against one's surroundings that culminates in personal growth, self-overcoming, and self-perfection. And to be clear, no part of that is about lording over other people or beating them up playground style. Well, it has unfortunately been used for nefarious ends. Mm. Yeah, but that's not what Nietzsche was getting at. The Nazis oh. were a fan of his will to power, and I'm sure you can guess how they took it. <laughs> but Nietzsche draws a distinction between Kraft, which is kind of like force, and Macht, which is more might. Kraft is old-school strength in the way most people think and the Nazis thought, but Macht is about self-overcoming. And because Nietzsche didn't speak directly, using stories to convey his messages instead, there's definitely space for interpretation. Or misinterpretation. But are you sure that you're not misinterpreting? Yeah, man, absolutely. So, unfortunately, Nietzsche's sister and her husband were avowed anti-Semites, but uh, but he wrote letters against them, against their ideology. And in one of his notebooks, he even wrote, quote, I have found strength where one does not look for it, in mild, simple, and pleasant people, without the least desire to rule. And conversely, the desire to rule has often appeared to me a sign of inward weakness. They fear their own slave soul and shroud it in a royal cloak. So he's deaf not talking about physical or political power. I dig that. Okay. I mean, that's kind of a common trope in fiction. Those characters who would make the best leaders if only they wanted to lead. For sure. But uh, throw me some examples, Popman. Never with that name ever again, please. But <laughs> I I'm going to go with a controversial one here and say my man Shrek. Oh, no. <laughs> but hear me out. He's simple. Sure, I wouldn't call him mild, but he certainly has no desire to rule. He just kind of stumbles into adventure, but still manages to rally those around him. Lord mm -hmm. Farquaad is the antithesis to Shrek, whose insecurities, or as Nietzsche would put it, oh, I said his name, or as Nutsu would put it, inward weakness hides the fear he shrouds in a royal cloak. Shrek wanted nothing and ended up with everything. Farquaad wanted everything and ended up with nothing. Alright, yeah, did not expect a philosophical deep dive on Shrek, but here we are. And it kind of works. Yeah, so in this instance, since Farquaad was seeking to rule, he was a slave by Nicey's definition. What was that <laughs> thing you said about a slave soul? 
I said nothing. But Nietzsche, yes, he called it a slave soul. Mm. He talked a lot about master and slave, actually, which brings us straight to another form of Nietzscheism. God is dead. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderer of all murderers? He wrote this on multiple occasions. I know that's definitely one of his most famous sayings, and I'm sure you're going to tell me it's misinterpreted, but what the heck could that possibly mean? Are we talking breaking the fourth wall like we're Deadpool and just going after God himself with twin katanas? (laughs) I'm fairly certain God would be displeased with me for doing that at a minimum. It's provocative. Gets the people going. It's the people going where? Certainly not heaven. (laughs) Let's start right there. According to Christianity, what gets you into heaven? Being a good person. Some people make it seem like a lot and make it complicated, but at the end of the day, you just need to be a decent person and bam, heaven. And what makes someone a good person? Well, I suppose a philosophy show is the perfect place to raise that question, Mm -hmm, but... mm -hmm. It's less complicated than people make it out to be. Being nice to others, caring for people besides yourself, not kicking dogs, that sort of thing. Nice, nice. And where does this definition of good come from? Christians would say the Bible. Others may say the golden rule or some other basic morality. Perfect, perfect. That's absolutely what I wanted because that's exactly what Nietzsche takes issue with. Basic morality? Come on, you can argue the merits or different morals or maybe ask if they're still good if you take these ideas to the extreme. But how do you take issue with something as foundational as be nice to others? You know who else takes issue with basic morality? What do you got? Oh, let me list him for you. The Joker, Voldemort, Sauron, Pennywise the Clown, Jaws the Shark. Hey, hey, you're going to blame the poor shark? And Tom Riddle just needed to be loved. Oh, well, I'm not done. The Wicked Witch of the West, Freddy Krueger, Hans Gruber. Wait, wasn't Freddy Krueger the lead singer of Queen? What do you have against him? That's the legendary Freddy Mercury, you uncivilized heathen. Uh, Freddy Krueger kills little kids in their dreams. All right, fine. Fine, point made. I suppose that's bad. But, like I said, (laughs) Nietzsche was definitely provocative. He wrote a book titled On the Genealogy of Morality, in which he tried to figure out where our views on moral traits come from. Too bad there's no 23moralsinme.com. No. Moralityinme.com. No. Mm. 23andmorals.com. Mm. I'm not sure where. There's a pun someplace in there, but (laughs) until I figure it out, what did he figure out? All right. All right. You may not like this. It's super anti-religion. The philosopher most famous for being a depressed nihilist was against religion? No. (laughs) You talking about Nietzsche or me? Oh, are you depressed, buddy? No, no, but I did just have an emo party. Well, that sounds awesome, and it only stands to reason that the patron saint of heathens is an emo boy at heart. But, yeah, no surprise that the guy who apparently repeatedly said God is dead was anti-religion. Lay it on me. So, Nietzsche wasn't actually a nihilist, but we'll get there. Hmm. In Tracing Back Morality, he talked about master-slave morality. And before we had the word good as a value judgment and the opposite of evil, he thought we had good and bad as words without moral value, but merely as descriptors. 
So this it can be confusing, but mm. the masters, and I'm not talking about slavery in the U.S. Remember, throughout our dark history, humanity has unfortunately enslaved many people all over the world. Mm-hmm. But the masters had certain traits, and the enslaved were forced to have other traits. And try to think of everything I'm about to say without value judgments for a moment, but purely as descriptions. So masters owned many things. Masters exerted control over their environment and their will around them. Slaves, on the other hand, couldn't have many possessions, couldn't do as they would have wanted otherwise, and they didn't have control over their existence. Okay, so masters were in charge, owned things, controlled the environment, slaves didn't have stuff, couldn't do what they wanted, and couldn't control their existence. Got it. I'm following. Right. Right. So the word good was used to describe the master's way of life and bad was used to describe the slave's way. I no longer follow. Isn't not being able to do what you want a bad? Uh, okay. Yeah. Just making sure you're not saying the slaves were bad. No, no, no. Not at all. Just that the conditions that describe their lives. Okay. Now... Nietzsche said in order to feel better about their lives and pretend they're okay, slaves redefine their conditions as traits of goodness and their master's ones as evil. So just a flip-flop. I'm a little lost again. Okay, so the slaves couldn't change their lives. Right. But they also didn't want to feel bad about that. Okay, makes sense. Um, it's kind of like... The, the fox and the sour grapes, you know that one? Oh, is that is that the story where the fox wants to eat the grapes, but he can't get to them? So instead, the fox is just like, oh, well, they must be sour anyways. I didn't even want to eat them. Yeah. So, okay, so you're saying the slaves decided they didn't want what they couldn't have, which were the master's traits. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so instead of submission being bad, they decided obedience is a good trait. And instead of sexlessness being bad, purity became desired. Instead of it being that they can't get revenge, but they actually really wish they could, it became forgiveness. Wow. Okay. So Nutsy really flipped basic morality and just decided to call everyone an idiot. He said people who couldn't have what they wanted instead resented those that did and created a virtue system based on the opposite. What they didn't want, but unfortunately had. Wow. And that's what he's calling master-slave morality. You know, (laughs) this actually makes me think of Toy Story. Oh, no. First Shrek. Now this. All right. How do you possibly combine Nietzsche and Toy Story? Okay. Hear me out. Just think about it. You've got a clear master-slave dynamic. The toys and the owner, Andy. And you've got a bunch of creatures who can't do anything when he's around, and they've utterly convinced themselves they're happy with it, and that it's a great life because they know nothing else. Hmm. They love being played with and loved. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) And as soon as a toy, Buzz Lightyear, comes into the picture with the audacity to think like he exists or whatever, the other toys do their very best to keep him from living his life, opposed to the unwritten set of views and values they've arbitrarily constructed. Do the toys not move out of fear? 
Or is it like a symbiotic relationship and home is safer than the outside world? Mm. Is it a concession to allow toys to continue to be created lest we humans find out that they are sentient and we destroy them as Frankenstein <laughs> attempted to destroy his monster? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That I, I love and hate how much that works. <laughs> okay. Yeah, now that I've effectively ruined Toy Story for everyone, which I'm very sorry for, by the way, it, how does God is Dead fit in? So, he disagrees with Christian morality and basically all religion because of master-slave morality. He thinks religious-based morality is gone, but he also thinks all morality is gone. By By his time... Which was the second half of the 1800s. Right, right. By then... The scientific revolution had fully taken course, the Enlightenment era had already happened, and industrialization was in full swing. It's not like everyone was still religious. Values became disentangled from religion, and a lot of prominent thinkers argued that morals came from rational thinking and from reason. And let me guess. And Nietzsche took that personally. Oh, color me surprised. <laughs> he thought that religion and morality were still linked, and that they couldn't be unlinked because morality, which remember he, he still thinks is bull hockey, that comes from religion. That was his whole deal in the genealogy of morality, right? He, he attacked the central aspects of morality. But he does recognize that the world has moved into a less religious stage. That's what he's talking about with God is dead. Okay, so not the death of a literal God who was previously alive. Rather, the arrival of an age where religion is no longer the basis of values. So he's happy when he says God is dead. With everything we've discussed so far, you would think, but no. Hmm. Morality and Christianity are linked, but he recognizes that the world has moved into a less religious stage, so naturally, he believed this collapse of religion would lead to the collapse of morality and objective value. He always thought it was false, but religion was beneficial for coping with the problems of life. But now, we're left with nihilism. So he's a nihilist. Once again, you would think, but no! This is a Nietzsche we're talking about, so there's still more. Okay. He was worried about what came with the collapse of the Christian faith. He thought it would lead to the collapse of all that was built on it. European morality, its rationale and values. And then Without a replacement and clear system of meaning, humanity would devolve into despair. So he was against that. Okay, he rejected nihilism. He thought it was weak, in a way. Instead, he thought relinquishing faith opened the path for creative abilities to develop. Instead of turning our eyes toward the supernatural, perhaps we could acknowledge the values of this world. It's like a like an open sea, both exhilarating and terrifying. Oh, okay. Is that when he gets into the whole Ubermensch thing? That's exactly it. Sounds like you're somewhat familiar. What do you know of Ubermensch? Um, it, it's like a Superman figure, right? It's someone who's living their best self, it, empowered and authentic and all that. But I also always kind of thought it was like a feudal lord type figure who has power and kind of pushes others around um like a homelander from the boys who's like a you know basically an evil version of superman nietzsche would like a lot of that but probably not all see ubermensch is often translated as 
a Superman. Not the blue and red underwear on the outside Superman, but a human who is super. But a better translation is something like a superior human, which is oh. a slight distinction, mm-hmm. but it's someone who has overcome. Not in a genetically better or anything like that, but Nietzsche talked about this terrifying collapse of civilization-esque nihilism. But through the conquest of their own nihilism, an ubermensch rises above their difficulties. Defiant, confident, and independent, an ubermensch chases their desires with vigor. It's an idealized version of oneself once we've overcome all fears and deficiencies. Okay, so I'm guessing the negative connotations I had are more from maybe a popular misunderstanding. Maybe less evil, like Homelander, and maybe more like a Batman, like an ideal human, a hero among men. Yeah, Batman works, because he strives past his puny human limits, but he is still human, and he Hmm. tries to do more and be better. I don't like Superman in that context, because he's not human. He has superpowers, whereas... Batman does not. Mm. Nietzsche thought becoming an ubermensch should be the goal for humanity to set for itself. It's not really a thing, but describes a type of person. In Thus Spoke Zarathustra, the protagonist claims that the will of the ubermensch is to give meaning to life on Earth. He says that we should ignore the otherworldly fulfillment like religion because that draws us away from our reality here on Earth. Nietzsche, speaking through this character, says that people turn to religion because they're dissatisfied with the sufferings of their life. But he wants us to wallow in suffering, doesn't he? Why do so many philosophers just want us to suffer? Yes, exactly. He wants you to suffer, not because he hates you, but because he wants you to push through and past it. Another well-known quote of his is, There have been two great narcotics in European civilization, Christianity and alcohol. I bet you take issue with part of that. He has offended what shan't be offended. And of course, I'm not talking about Christianity. Oh, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) His, uh, so this bizarre preference he had for water and the occasional glass of milk speaks exactly to his philosophical thoughts because alcohol the same as religion, causes satisfaction with life at whatever condition one is in. It's a way to avoid negative feelings, but Nietzsche thinks that comes at the cost of improvement and true happiness. You know, it gets in the way of taking the steps necessary to improve our lives. He was definitely a what-doesn't-kill-you-makes-you-stronger kind of guy, wasn't he? Oh, dude, he came up with that. That's his quote. What? No way. Yeah, forget pop culture references. This man directly impacts us all and we didn't even know. But he he doesn't want you to suffer for no reason. Think of that Winston Churchill quote. If you're going through hell, keep going. That's the idea we're getting at. We'll suffer either way in life, but our choice comes in whether we allow life to make us suffer or whether we channel it into something. And even if you disagree with Nietzsche's teachings, do something. That's what he says. Do something. Feel. Suffer. And grow from that. Take suffering as an opportunity to build strength. That's why he values it. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's beautiful in a way. 
Have you forgotten the mustache? Nitch is beautiful. Okay, calm it down there, buddy. The Ubermensch grasps suffering with relish and gratitude, for he knows pain is required to do anything worthwhile. I love the gusto, um, and I'm starting to think that you think you're an Ubermensch, but, but <laughs> becoming Batman is a real high bar for expecting how people should be. Did he recognize any real-life Uber? menches or was this just theoretical mm. no wait i know he thought he was one too where's that quote hold on ah here <laughs> i haven't read the spoke zarathustra if i'm saying that right but i have read what nietzsche thought of his own book and it's fantastic <laughs> and i quote with the spoke zarathustra i have given mankind the greatest present that has ever been made to it so far well, yeah, he was, uh, he was really proud of himself. No, 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 no. That was just the start. And I quote, I have given mankind the greatest present that has ever been made to it so far. This book, with a voice bridging centuries, is not only the highest book there is, the book that is truly characterized by the air of the heights. The whole fact of man lies beneath it at a tremendous distance. It is also the deepest, born out of the innermost wealth of truth, <laughs> An inexhaustible well to which no pale descends without coming up again filled with gold and goodness. Wow. I have no words. He took care of it. He already said all the words he thought necessary. I mean, there's ego and there's ego. <laughs> you, know, you know what I love about how proud he is of this book? So the full title is Thus Spoke Zarathustra, A Book for All and None. What does that subtitle mean? Exactly. A book for all and none? That's part of the title? No one knows what that means? Ah, uh, but he's so happy with it. <laughs> ah, what a guy. What a guy. What else we got? Any more cultural references? Okay, so check this out. I, I can't believe that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is from Nietzsche, but here's another super popular thing. Dun, 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 dun. We've all heard that bit of music. That was composed by Richard Strauss and is actually called Thus Spoke Zarathustra, named directly after the book. Each of the sections in this piece are named after chapters of the book, and it reflects the philosophical journey of the main character. You're absolutely right. I've heard that a bunch of times. It's like in the beginning of a bunch of movies? I don't know. But wow. Yeah, okay. All the time. Cool. Did all not know what it was called. You know, all this Nietzsche talk has got me thinking about another very nerdy direction here. Mm -hmm. And um, it's this one might hurt a little bit. And I'd normally think it's a little too nerdy for this show, even. Except that every time I go to the gym, I see dudes wearing Dragon Ball Z t-shirts everywhere. What this got me thinking of, and this is getting real nerdy, even if you watch the shows as a kid, never mm -hmm. got here. I guess in recent seasons, in Dragon Ball Z, the main characters, Goku and Vegeta, are rivals. They're both from an alien race called Saiyans, which are mm -hmm. basically like Superman, you know, Kryptonians, whatever. But Not the same as Right, no, not not the same. <laughs> All really ties together. Goku is always striving to be like, he loves fighting and he wants to be the best. And Vegeta wants to be the best better than Goku. And they're mm -hmm. just kind of always neck and neck. 
So what this got me thinking of is their latest super form. They always level up and they get stronger. Goku got something called Ultra Instinct, which is like way higher than Super Saiyan. And he just like feels in the moment the combat that he's doing and he just lets his body react normally. And you're like, cool. So that's what Goku does, right? But Vegeta, he's very egotistical. He wants to be the best. And his super form is called Ultra Ego. Ah. And whereas Goku just lets his body operate on his own, Vegeta goes like head first into mm-hmm. everything. He just becomes a wrecking ball. He's not dodging anything. And the more he gets punched, the stronger he gets. Like it fuels him. And that to me sounds like the pain, the drive, yeah. the driven, the ubermensch. Yeah, okay. I see. Yeah. No, that was just another way I was kind of thinking, you know, philosophy, tying it all together, super smart, whatever. Yeah, so Nietzsche is more the the Vegeta, the ultra ego, the purposeful, the mentally driven. Okay. Right. Like, Vegeta's still a good guy. He's just kind of a jerk about it. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I like that characterization of Nietzsche, too. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, you're a good guy. You're just kind of a jerk about it, (laughs) Nietzsche. What What about Goku? Do we have anything for Goku, then? What would that um, reflect in philosophy? You know, it, it, if nothing else, like that his philosophy seems to be kind of more Eastern leaning where it's like, oh, you kind of go with the flow and yada, yada. Um, and, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that's a great way to segue into another um, very famous philosopher for our next episode. Okay. Yeah. There's uh, not going to be any sound effect, hopefully, when I say Confucius. Oh, I was the sound effect. Sorry. I was, that was just genuine awe. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's, that's perfect. So then if Vegeta is the Western philosophy of Notch, Notchy, then Confucius <laughs> is like the Eastern philosophy. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I think we've mentioned Confucius before, but yeah, let's do that for our next episode. It's going to be real fun digging into the, the nitty gritty of someone, again, we've heard of, but maybe we don't exactly know what's in there. So. Thanks, everyone, for joining in, and we'll see you next time. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse assuming all your toys are fully sentient and destroying them before they destroy you. The bully said from Toy Story already tried, and you can see that it was futile. Wholesome and Heathen do, however, endorse putting yourself through a consistent regimen of incredible and intolerable pain, such as a gluten-free diet, to help build yourself into an ubermensch so we stand some sort of chance when the toys do break from their constraints and attempt to overthrow us, their masters. We're running out of time. We must prepare. Tell us what innocuous thing you believe it's biting its time before it decides to enslave mankind at wholesomeandheathen.com.